All right, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, aren't we excited about the new year? Uh, speaking of the new year, Hamp and I are going to be selling your email addresses to the local uh, advertising agency, and so uh, we need you to give us as much information about yourself as you can. Okay, so and we're working together on this, and so uh, we thought you would oblige us. If you haven't had a chance to fill that out, I know some people are saying, I'm not giving you my address, because you'll just get in touch with me. Um, well, probably, uh, but really we use this so that we can do just that, so we can keep you up to date with what's happening in the church. Sometimes things occur that we just need to let you know about, and that's our best form of uh, communication a lot of times. So uh, they're in the back, back there on the foyer. I hate to belabor the point, but please help us out with that. Okay, we love you a lot more than you love us, I mean, that kind of thing. So uh, just, just kidding. Boy, you're a tough crowd this morning. Yeah? <laughs> tough crowd. All right, I promise that I will not bring this up again. Uh, but my wife and I, this is the little book that she did for us uh, for the devotions that uh, I have been doing. If some of you may not have seen this. It's called Rescued from Darkness. Um, Pastor Bruce Goldsmith. How about that? That's me. Yeah, isn't that exciting? I was so surprised by this. Christmas morning, she had me open this box last, and um, we had talked about doing this, and uh, she just worked like lots of hours putting this together and getting it done. Uh, but we want to give you all a copy of this if you want one. That's up to you. You can take it. You can, you, you, they're great fire starters. Um, you know, you just roll them up real tightly, and they burn for a long time. And uh, the ink just especially does a good job, so burning. But anyway, if you want one of those, we'll be glad to give you one of those. Um, we have made so much money off of them already. <laughs> we just don't. We just don't need any more. I mean, we're saying really to the publisher, stop, stop, stop sending us checks. It's just, it's just been pretty amazing how quickly something like that can happen. I'm so totally, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Some of you are going, really? He's serious about that? No, I'm really not serious about that. It was just something that um, we thought would be fun to do. So maybe in God, hopefully God will use it in, in some way. We pray that that's his, his goal and his purpose. So anyway, if you want a copy, you can, you're welcome to that. And by the way, thank you for those of you who've given to us cards, and I'm talking about our family, uh, the gifts that you have, the, the pies, and, and just wonderful things. Somebody went out of their way, because they know that I have this allergies, and went out of their way to make a pie for me so I could eat it. And I just really appreciate that thoughtfulness. So thank you for all your kindness to us, and, and our heart goes out to you as well as we start this new year. And uh, speaking of which, we want to get things kicked back into gear. And so DIA, our Disciples in Action, will be starting this Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, I'm not sure what Pastor Scott's going to be doing for the young couples, but uh, I'm going to be going through a book by John MacArthur called 12 Unlikely Heroes. I have those books already on the way and some study guides. And so we'll be meeting for that. We'll be doing it on Zoom again for those of you that can't be with us. And so it'll still be the same number that we've used in the past, but we'll get that information out to you as well this week. But that's starting at 6.30 this, this Wednesday. And speaking of starting, Awana is kicking, up, kicking in gear this Wednesday night as well. Okay, so we're excited about that. There's already been a leaders meeting over that. That's going to start this Wednesday. Uh, and just so you know, uh, here's how it breaks down. This is going to be going from ages 3 through 8th grade adding a grade this year. And normally it stops at 7th, but we're going to take it through 8th grade this year. Cubbies are the 3- and 4-year-olds. They're so cute, those little guys. Sparks are 5-year-olds through 2nd grade, and the TNT group will be 3rd grade through 8th grade. Okay, so come join us if you have kids that need to learn the Word of the Lord. Awana is a great, great way to do that. It'll be a wonderful thing uh, to, to have them be a part of. For my family, uh, Debbie and I, we want to say uh, again, um, thank you for all that you've done, but we have uh, been given a gift ourselves with a new granddaughter uh, on New Year's Day, and so here she is, yeah. so cute, somebody saw her and said her cheeks are so fat, <laughs> and, and they really are, this is little Marin, M-A-R-E-N, Marin Ruth Goldsmith, she was eight pounds, one ounce. 21 inches long, 243-ish, two something like that on New Year's Day. Was not the first baby born on New Year's Day, at least in the hospital, at least what we can find out. But um, anyway, it's good that she was born on New Year's Day because I can remember that date pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> the others, all three of our, our sons and daughter-in-law's children are born in January. Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, all of their birthdays in January. So anyway, we're excited about sharing her with you. We're anxious to be able to see her ourselves. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at what the Lord has for us today. Father, we thank you for, uh, boy, just the joy and the blessing of gathering together. And uh, Father, we need you in our lives today. We can't imagine doing this day without you. We've just so celebrated and had so much fun with the beauty of the sanctuary all decorated for Christmas and the candles and the, just the, the joy of being together with one another. And, and now we've celebrated New Year. And, and, and now, quite honestly, it's, it's tough getting through January and February. It just seems oftentimes it's kind of dull and dreary and cold. And, and it's just not a lot to look forward to in a human sense. And so I pray that today as we listen to your word, that you will remind us that there's so much to look forward to, so much to be excited about, so much to be encouraged by, just simply belonging to you and being your children. So open our minds and our hearts as we hear you today and and, uh, just rejoice in what you've done. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you might have been able to tell that um, I'm going to hold off one more week on getting back into Matthew. Next week, Lord willing, we will be in chapter 7 of Matthew, but before we do that, I wanted to just do what I was praying there, and that is give us all some encouragement as we begin to face 2021. I've tried to do this over the years on New Year's, the first Sunday of New Year's, um, and this would be no different. And so I just hope that what we talk about today will give you some things to focus on in light of all the changes that we've been experiencing over this last year. And, uh, you know, we're all ready to say goodbye to that. We're anxious. We're, we're done with 2020. But still, there are a lot of uncertainties. We don't know what the new year is going to hold. We just don't. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We've said that many times over. But when it happens to be the circumstances that we've been enduring, uh, we really are just uh, on the edge of our seats, kind of, so to speak. And so I hope that this will help us this morning. I want to use Peter's first letter for our instruction this morning because... Peter, and I'm going to give us the background in just a minute before we actually stand to read this. Uh, Some of you will know this historically, but some of you may not. Uh, And so I want to make sure we get the full context. I'd like to ask you this morning to be thinking about what it would have been like to be a person as a believer in the days when Peter wrote this letter. So just try to imagine yourself being there because what Peter is writing against is a very difficult backdrop that people were in. I'm talking about Christians. And he's writing to them to help them learn how to live victoriously as Christians, as God's people, in the midst of a very difficult time, in a very ungodly time. And so to me, it's very timely for us as we see our world changing rapidly, uh, becoming more and more ungodly in so many ways. It's tough for us as Christians to know how to live. And it can be very discouraging. And so Peter, like many of the other writers will write first theological truth. That's what he's going to do today. And then they talk about how to live out that theological truth in practical ways. And we're not going to get to those practical ways. So my plan is, is to, if you're interested, to follow in the devotions, is to cover a lot of those as we go forward in the devotions beginning tomorrow. So we won't get to those today. I just want to cover the, the theological truth that Peter opens this letter with. Okay? So put that in your mind just for a minute. But now let's, let's talk about what he's writing against, what the backdrop is. In my opinion, if I were living in the day that Peter wrote this, I would think that there would have been no greater challenge to, to be a Christian than in this day. I mean, it was a horrific time. Again, some of you, you know this, but let me reiterate this. It was a time when Rome was an absolute powerhouse in the world. So a huge, huge Uh, power player in the realm of the world. Nero was the emperor. Not only was he the human emperor, but in the minds of the Romans who believed in many, many gods, they actually elevated him to a status of deity. So in their minds, he was not just a man, but he was a God-man. Interesting that Satan would do that in the minds of people, right? Because there is only truly one God-man the man-God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, right? But to the people, Nero was this person. He had absolute power and control over them economically, developmentally, and especially spiritually. And so one of the things that he, Nero had in his heart and mind was to 
build. He loved to build. And so history tells us that he did just that. He built much of Rome, and he continually built until there was no more room for him to build. And so what he did was he set fire to Rome. But when he set fire, it wasn't just like a little house fire. This was a monstrous, consuming blaze that did great destruction. I mean, it just wreaked havoc on businesses. Imagine yourself now. You're a business person, so just put yourself there. Your business is now gone. The places that you called worship places, the idols of your home were gone because your house was burned. All of your livelihood that you knew to be true and what you lived in was now gone for many of the people. And don't forget, many of your relatives, close relatives, extended relatives, friends, family were gone because they had died in the fires. It was a terrible time for Rome. Now, the people knew that Nero was, had this insatiable desire to build. So they started figuring that Nero probably did this. Well, Nero gets wind of all of that, and he decides, well, I can't have the people thinking I'm the problem, and so he turns to the Christians, and he blames the Christians, and the reason he did that is because he knew that the city of Rome already had this chip on their shoulder about the Christians. I mean, those were the people that caused the most problems for them. They were the ones who would not worship the idols. They would not bow and worship to Nero as the supreme leader, much less the spiritual leader. They weren't going to do that. And so what better group of people to uh, abuse, really, than the Christians? And again, beyond that, these were the people who were uh, favored by uh, the various religious classes, like the Jews, the people there. They weren't necessarily the same belief system, of course. We know that between Christians and Jews. But yet, Rome had a real problem with the Jews. And you know that. And in fact, it would come in 70 AD where Rome would completely annihilate all of the Roman, uh, the Jewish people living there and completely uh, destroy all of the priests and, and destroy the temple. And so it was easy to turn on these people who were the followers of also the Christ, the one that Rome had to deal with then as well, who was put on the cross as a criminal. And so there was a bad mark against the people who were called Christians. And so these people then, the Christians, were forced to either conform to who Nero was or they would be treated horribly. In fact, let me just give you some of those ways that they were treated. One would be they would be fed to the lions. And we're not talking about the nice little cute ones that you see in the circus. These were the ones that were vicious, terrifying creatures that would be the, uh, just as you can imagine, the ones that would rip the people apart, literally. Or perhaps they would be buried in the ground up to their necks and people would ride by, soldiers would ride by, whomever would ride by and take large mallets and whatnot and hit the people's heads repeatedly until they came off. Or if that wasn't enough, they would be burned alive as human torches to light the city streets of Rome at night. Or even as sport for Nero, they would be used as the torches for his parties, literally covered in oil and set on fire. Uh, many were covered with boiling oil and burned alive that way. Or some would even be covered with animal skins and fed to wild dogs as food. And you can imagine in those days that wasn't just little Petey and Sparky, uh, but that was uh, a dog that had not been fed for probably a long time. And so as a result of all that treatment, these people fled for their lives. They tried to get out of Rome and, and leave the tyranny of Nero as quickly as they possibly could because they were believers in the Christ and knew that that would be something that would be waiting for them if they didn't get out of the city and, and get away from there. And so Peter writes this letter. Actually, he writes two, Second uh, Peter, first and second Peter, but this first one is the one we want to focus on because his whole purpose, as I've said, is to encourage those believers to stay focused, to not forget what God has done for them and not forget what they know to be true, to live victoriously in the midst of this hostility without losing hope, without forfeiting everything that they know, and also without living with bitterness. Can you imagine the bitterness? Imagine the emotion that would have come out of the lives of these people as they were a part of this and being treated in such a cruel way. 
And so Peter writes this, encouraging them to obey all that God has commanded them, but also to look for his second coming. And that becomes really the balance of the latter part of the chapters. But I just want to focus on chapter 1 and some thoughts there for this morning. And so let's stand up as we read this together, as you hear me read it, and you read along with me silently. I'd like to, again, ask you to put yourself in that backdrop and hear what Peter is saying. And I hope it will bring some encouragement to you. He identifies himself first, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that is to give his credentials, if you will, so that people understand that this was God's man. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now jump with me down to verse 13. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, as I was mentioning, there is so much in this letter Uh, I really, I was going through so much and I have so much material that I was putting together. It's just not going to be possible to cover it all today by any stretch. So we'll deal with some of these more uh, practical details in the days ahead in the devotional times if you want to read those. But basically what Peter's doing in his brief introduction here is to encourage the people who are under what we were just talking about and to remind them what God has done for them. And that really becomes the emphasis and the emphasis of verses 2 through all the way down through verse 16. And so, number one, look at what Peter says first to all the believers who need to live this victorious life. Number one, God chose them for salvation. God chose them. Let me reiterate this. God chose them for salvation. Now put yourself there and hear what God is saying. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the work of Christ. Now, what does Peter mean by that? Well, Peter is referring to a doctrine called election that the church has struggled with for years. I'm not just talking about Laurel Hill. I'm talking about church universal over the subject of man's will versus God's will. But over and over again in Scripture, God makes clear that both are relevant. That man has a responsibility for his actions in coming to Christ, but God also, in the foreordaining work of his own purpose, has chosen those who will believe. This word aliens is a word that means people dispossessed of their home. And so Peter is writing to that group of people in this large expanse of area, people who are strangers in a foreign land. Now that should also ring a bell with us because you and I, beloved, are strangers in a foreign land, are we not? You and I are not people of this world. We are of this world in the human sense, but we have been raptured, excuse me, we've been uh, reborn out of this world. We've been rebirthed, if you will to be new creations. And so in a sense, you and I are aliens. We don't belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. But just to suffice suffice it to say, in a human sense, we're just talking about people who are living physically in that land. But the emphasis here is those who are chosen. And that word really means selected. 
It means to elect. And if you look up any definition, that's what it's going to mean. When you talk about choosing something, you have made a determined choice to do just that, that you are picking this or that. And so as much as people have, picked, uh, have struggled with this, the church, the word of God deals with this very clearly. In fact, when Jesus is talking to the disciples in Luke chapter 18, verse 7, he just simply makes reference to this, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, I just want, to, I want you to see some of these words so you understand the mind of God as he's reading, as he's giving us this information. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, no man has the ability to turn their life over to God unless God is opening the heart. God is the one who begins the process. In John 13, 18, Jesus says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. And then speaking to the disciples or of the disciples in his prayer to the Father in John 17 and verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name, talking to the Father, the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now in that dialogue, Jesus is opening up to us a very important truth that God institutes those whose hearts will be changed first. He is the one who opens the door of the mind. In John 17, 9, just a couple verses later, in that same prayer, Jesus says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. When Paul's writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, I wish I had time to teach through all of these. You can go back and listen to our series in Romans, and you'll hear more of this. Uh, but just suffice it to say that this word means not just a knowledge of something that's going to happen, but God has predetermined it to happen. In writing to the church in Colossae, Paul says in chapter 3 of verse 12, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Writing to Timothy, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Writing to Titus, Paul says in Titus 1, referring to himself as a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. And then when preaching even to the Jews in Antioch, Paul says this in Acts 13, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. In other words, what Paul is doing here is he's saying to the Jews, God sent the message of the gospel to you first. But you've rejected it, and now I'm going to the Gentiles. Notice how he says this. Since you do repudiate it, and you reject the eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. In verse 47, for the Lord has commanded us, <clears throat> excuse me, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now listen to this. The one, one of the most telling, if not the most telling truths about the doctrine of election is right here. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as has been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, if you read that correctly, what God is telling us is that the appointment to eternal life was there before the heart even believed. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He's speaking of the Antichrist there. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. Revelation 17, 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction and those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast. Now, Again, I don't have time to go through all of the teachings on election and free will and how those merge together. What I want you to hear this morning is what I believe the Spirit of God wanted the people to hear in Peter's day. And that is, if you need something to be encouraged by in the midst of all of your troubles, number one, understand this, God has chosen you. God has chosen you. 
God has not forgotten you. He has chosen you to be his people. God is the hero of this story. So whatever you're doing in your life and whatever you're finding in your life to be troublesome and discouraging and overwhelming, remember this, people. God chose you for salvation. And that should bring great encouragement. If there's nothing to be encouraged about beyond that in this life, that should be everything. Amen? Amen. That God in his own divine mercy and grace opened your heart to believe. That's greatly encouraging. And Peter wants him to understand that. No matter what is happening, remember that. Secondly, not only has God chosen you, but he has provided a great inheritance for you. I know something about inheritances, not because I knew a lot about inheritances, but because it's become more personal to me. As my mother passed away, there were some things that were left to me and to my brother and sister and to our families. As dad's passed away, I know more about that. And inheritances are, are wonderful in and of themselves. Um, in fact, dad left to me um, his truck, you know, and I'm a truck guy. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. He has a 2004 Chevy Silverado that only had about 160,000 miles on it. And I was telling the early service, ladies, forgive me, some of you are great mechanics and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Some of you could care less about this. But guys, you look at the tailpipe and there's not a bit of black in that tailpipe. You know what that tells you? That's a good motor, right? But here's the thing. When Dad bought it in 2004 as a brand new truck, it was really cool, and Dad did a great job taking care of it. But over the years, and it's been quite a few years now, it's beginning to deteriorate. And the point is, is that everything, no matter what it is in this life, deteriorates, right? I mean, I hate to tell you, but you don't look as good as you used to look. I mean, I look at you every Sunday. I know where you look like. I know the days you look good and the days you don't look so good. And you're saying, yeah, I'm saying the same thing about you, preacher. <laughs> You don't look so good yourself. So the point is, is that everything in this earth is corrupted by sin, which is the way all things are. Everything goes that way. But Peter is saying this, because of what God has done through Christ, we have an inheritance that's never going to fade away. Isn't that what he said? It's never going to go away. Look at verse 4. It is an inheritance which is imperishable, and it's undefiled and will not fade away. Imperishable means it cannot be corrupted. There's nothing about what God has as your inheritance he's left for you or is giving to you that will ever be corrupted. Meaning we have been given one of the greatest, if not the, I should say, the greatest treasure, not only in salvation, but of all the riches of the kingdom. And you see that in verses 3 and 4, if you go on and read that. And it'll never decay, it'll never end. And so Peter's message to these dear saints is, listen, don't worry about what you don't have in this life. It really has nothing to do with anything. Certainly they're blessings. Certainly they're joyful things. And yes, we should take them very seriously. But don't worry about what you can't keep. Don't worry about the things that are not going to have any eternal meaning. Fix your eyes on the eternal inheritance of this life and the life to come. Don't be distracted by the things around you. Keep your mind on heavenly realities not on the temporary things. And listen, if I could just say anything as a counseling statement would be, this is the key to a successful life right here. When you and I find our days in in darkness and, and depression and the feelings of, oh, woe is me kind of thing, and I'm not making light of that at all, I think what we really need to do in a very practical way is change our thinking and remember what God has promised us. This life is going to be going away, and we'll see that in just a second because Peter brings it up. But you and I, as God's people, have been given an inheritance that's never going to go away. The day is always going to be sunny. As we come in here this morning, and it's kind of gloomy outside, and it's January, and the holidays are past, and our loved ones have gone to their own places, and we're saddened by the fact that we're now just going to have to live Monday through Friday again kind of a thing. Uh, We're to remember that, no, listen... There's a great eternity waiting for us. Don't get your eyes so caught up in this life that you forget about what God has done for you in eternity. And again, I really believe that that is the key to living a very productive and a healthy life emotionally, is being able to remember these things at the times that we need to remember them. 
Now, this is really cool. Watch this, what Peter says. Not only were we given salvation and given this great inheritance, but he says in verse 4 and 5, it's reserved and protected. It's reserved and protected. Notice he says, reserved in heaven for you, protected by the power of God. That word reserved is a word that means guarded or kept an eye on, prevented from escaping or to detain. We know what guards are, right? We know that guards are put in place to do just what this word is referring to, is to keep someone or something from being removed from where it's supposed to be. And so Peter says, your inheritance is being detained in heaven for you. It's being guarded there. But watch this. He says it's being protected, which means that it's The word protected is a word for a watcher in advance. In other words, the person is there. This is not just talking about being guarded, but this is the actual, the the guard themselves, the sentinel. So we have this heavenly treasure reserved for us, but it's also being guarded, meaning that there is a place, a fortress, if you will, reserved in heaven for you. And it's protected by, get this, by whom? By God. By God. And we had a gentleman in the early service who was, had spent time as a prison guard. And I was kind of using him as an illustration. And it was reminding us that a prison guard has a lot of power in certain ways, but they don't have power to keep everything under their control. But what Peter is saying here, and this would have really struck a chord with the people in the day of Nero because he was the supreme leader. Nobody could do anything without Nero's approval. In fact, people would go to their death at his word. And so Peter turns that around through the power of the Spirit and he says, no, you want to know who the real leader is? It's God himself. And as much as Nero has robbed you of your inheritances here on earth... God is preserving for you an inheritance that will never fade away, and God himself is the guard. Yes, amen. Praise his name for that. So to think anyone is going to break in and steal your inheritance in a heavenly sense is ridiculous. It can't be lost. What you have been given to you is eternal. It can't be forfeited. And that's unfortunately like, unlike some people believe and some people teach is that you can lose your salvation. Folks, listen. And I don't mean to be unkind, but that is one of the worst atrocities against God that could ever be made is to say that one of his children could lose their salvation. Now listen, when you're born again, you stay born again. You don't lose your place in the family of God. You're secure. Notice this. He goes on to refer, and I've already mentioned this, but the power of God, not only are we guarded by God, our inheritance guarded by God, but it is through his power. That word is might or strength. How much power do you think God has to protect what he has given to us? An infinite amount of power, right? We look at just his ability. He is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is sovereign over the affairs of the entire world and universe. How can he not keep us secure? much less keep our treasure secure. And nobody can disqualify him from his role. And that's why Jesus says to us in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. And no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I can only imagine in the moments that these people were living in that there were times when they saw their loved ones literally obliterated at the hands of the Romans. Their lives snuffed out and wondering what would happen to them and how are they going to be able to just keep themselves together. And so Peter just reminds them of what they should already know. That God has you secure. No matter what happens in this life, you are secure with him. And so we need to remember that. Fourthly, Peter says to them, God has determined that your difficulties will be temporary. And boy, I really like that. You know, there are a lot of things in this life we want to go on forever. But to know that our difficulties are temporary is an incredible thing. 
one of the hardest things in the world to do, I find, is to keep my chin up and be encouraged when things are not going so well. I mean, some of us wear our emotions on our sleeves, right? We just struggle with the things that go wrong. We've all experienced those kind of situations and things that cause us to be very discouraged, very disappointed with the way life is and how life is turning out, even depressed. There are a lot of people who struggle. You may be here this morning like that, that struggle with depression. Usually, however, it's because of something that we have done. Usually. When we're upset about something, it's because of something we're not in control of. Something that has gone in a direction that we didn't want it to go in. And so we don't understand how to bring it back together and we don't understand how to fix it the way we want to fix it and so we get discouraged. We get disappointed and depressed because it's just not the way that it was once meant to be. And maybe it was something we said, maybe it was something we did, maybe it was something we didn't say, maybe it was something we didn't act upon and we should have or whatever the subject might be. We realize that we're the problem. But what about when we're the problems for doing something that's right. In other words, those times where you stand up and either verbalize or act upon something because you know that's just the right thing to do and you're criticized for it. That's a different scenario and that's where the people found themselves in Peter's day. Each of us who've been walking with the Lord probably can identify with some time like that where we've stood up for some particular point or some particular issue and and uh, felt intimidated, felt nervous by it, uncertain about how we should approach the situation. Maybe we didn't do it when we should have and all of that. And I think these people were in the same position, that there were things going on in their culture that they needed to stand up for. And when they professed the name of Jesus, their lives were taken from them in sport, as we were talking about historically. You know, there's something about standing for Jesus that the world just doesn't like. Right? I mean, we've said this before, and I think we need to remember this, is that as we look into the year 2021, you and I as Christians are not going to become more popular with the world. I'm talking about true Christians. Because true Christians speak against the things of the ungodly world. Right? Not because we want to cause problems, but because we want the world to walk in truth. We want the world to obey God. We want the world to know God. But the more you and I stand up and speak out and whatever we may do in the name of Jesus, the world begins to push against us. And I wish I could say differently, but it's not going to get better in this life. But that's Peter's point. It's temporary. It's not going to last. You may have to go through some struggles right now. Listen to what he says, verse 6. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been distressed by various trials. That in a little, for a little while means for just a season. It's just a season. We know that they're temporary. We're not going to live forever. And so we've got to keep that in mind. We're going to leave this earth. And we need to leave the problems behind us. These distressing situations, whatever they are. I love how Paul says this. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, They are a momentary light affliction. Boy, if anybody struggled with Persecution, it was the Apostle Paul. Just unbelievable amount of persecution that he went through, and he refers to these things as momentary light afflictions. How many days do you wake up, beloved, and you say, oh man, woe is me, but you know what? It's momentary. It's a light affliction. You could be wrapped in an animal skin, fed to wild dogs, and understand in your heart that this is a momentary light affliction. You see, you and I, we get all distressed if we can't have our tea in the morning or we can't have our Starbucks or whatever it might be. We get all bent out of shape. And these people were going through some horrific situations. And God is speaking to us and saying, as you look in the year 2021, understand this, it's a momentary light affliction. But we'll probably get worse. You and I may never see it in our lifetime. Our granddaughter might see it. Your grandchildren might see it. We don't know. It could turn around tomorrow where we suffer under the great persecution like these people have been suffering under. We don't know what's going to happen. But what God wants us to do is to remember what he's telling us. Remember, everything in this life is going to be over one day. That boss is going to be gone one day. 
right? Those neighbors that you can't get along with are going to be gone one day. That bad job is going to be gone one day. The bad relationships are going to be gone one day. And get this, COVID-19 is going to be gone one day, right? It's a temporary light affliction, according to what the Apostle Paul says and what Peter's saying here. But you know what's going to last forever? The word of the Lord. And you. And me. We are eternal. His word is eternal. That's what will last forever. You're never going to be rid of who you are. Now you're either going to be in hell because you've never trusted Christ as your savior. Or you're going to be with him in his kingdom because he's rescued you from darkness. Right? One of two places. You will live forever somewhere. The question is where? Now, Peter, in this context, is speaking to believers, and that's what we want to think about this morning. Basically saying, why are you worried about this life when it's going to be temporary? When you're going to pass right through it? Wouldn't it be better to stop worrying about dying and losing everything and focus on the eternal? In fact, Paul said it this way. Romans 8. I consider, talking about himself that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you know what Paul said also? He said when the church wanted him to stick around, he says, you know, it's far better for me personally to go on and be with Jesus. But it's better for you that I stay because they needed him in that context. But his whole heart was, listen, everything about this life I'll gladly put aside because it's far better to be with Jesus. This is why we are to never be afraid of dying because to be with Jesus is far better than anything this world can ever give us. This world gives us things that pass away. To the church in Philippi in chapter 3, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. You know what he's saying? He's saying, folks, listen, don't forget this. You are not citizens of this world. You belong to God in heaven. Now act like it. You've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. In his own divine power, he rescued you. He's coming back again, Paul says, to make all things right. And one day you're going to live with him eternally. So live like that in his power. John says this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, John didn't know exactly what that meant, but whatever it is, it's going to be really close to being like Jesus in his image or his nature. And I don't know what that's going to be like. We've never been that way before. And that doesn't mean we're going to be God. That's not what he's teaching here. What he's saying is, as close as Jesus is to being all that the Father is, we will also be the same way. And the closest that I can get to that in my mind from Scripture is that maybe he's talking about like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You and I will perfectly live the spirit of love. We will perfectly live the spirit of joy and we will have perfect peace in our hearts and we will be perfectly patient and perfectly kind and perfectly good and faithful and gentle and under self-control perfectly. Maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know, but the point is this life is not something to keep our energy on. What we really need to be focusing on is making sure that people are hearing the gospel so that when COVID or anything else takes their life, they know where they're going, right? That's the bottom line. The issue is not what we're going to get out of this life, but what we take with us out of this life. And I'm talking about people. Here's the fifth point. Our circumstances have been deemed necessary by God. As much as God is in control of everything, he has found it necessary to allow us to go through various trials. Look at verse 6. Once again, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. If necessary means that which is needed, and that's what it sounds like. God has a purpose in it. 
That's why Paul writes this through the Spirit. The Spirit has him say, put this down, Peter, because God has determined that this time in your life, Christians in Rome, is necessary. Did they know why it was necessary? No. Now, we can deduce some reasons why it was necessary because of other places in Scripture, but just quickly, let me give you some thoughts, and that is, number one, to humble us. You know, sin does a great job on our pride. We think we got it all together. But when we come under the pressures of this life, we start realizing, I don't have it all together. And we start looking outside of ourselves. And the one God wants us to look to is himself. Right? We need humbling. Because our sin is devastating against us in that regard. And that would be really the second part is to keep our eyes focused on him. We've we got to get to the place where we cry uncle and we say, Lord, I, I can't live this life without you. I, I can't do it. I, I can't be the person that I need to be. I, I want to, but I, I've got to have you. And so pressures, trials and troubles and struggles in this life create that in our hearts, this looking to him. Not only that, it helps us appreciate what waits for us in heaven, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but the more I know about Jesus and the more I know about heaven, it's looking better all the time. And I don't mean to say that in a cliche-ish kind of way. I'm just genuine when I say that. I now have a dad there. My mom's there. That's really meaningful to me. Debbie's dad's there. And when the pressures and the trials and the struggles of this life come along, I'm finding myself saying more and more, Lord, you know, hey, I'm ready when you're ready. That'd be a whole lot better. And sometimes the Lord just gives us these things because it helps us to realize how good we're going to have it one day. And then I suppose in my mind, there's a fourth thing to help others who are going through their difficulties. We're not islands unto ourselves. We need each other. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul who said to the church in Corinth, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, Paul's saying, look, you're going through trials so that when you come out on the other side, you're going to be introduced to somebody who is going through something like you've just gone through, so you can say, hey, let me tell you how to get through this. Let me comfort you with this. Here's what God says. Here's what the Lord did. Here's how this will work. You see? And so we have some reasons in Scripture that God gives to us. Other than that, we don't know necessarily other than God is making us more like himself. And you say, okay, well, that's great. I can live with that. I, I understand what you're saying, but do they have to be so painful? Do they have to hurt so bad? Well, yes, because pain is what really refines us. I mean, there's just no purging away of the flesh without pain. Again, because we hold on tightly to that which we love. And we love our sinful natures. And it's got to be pushed out. It's like a splinter that's stuck under the skin. You know, it's like that bad place in our body. It's got to be cut out. It's like the surgeon. God is the surgeon who has to cut it out of us. And that's painful. Because that's what sin does. It holds on and it tightly wraps itself around what we want. And so pain is the, 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 the mechanism that God uses to purge us of the things that he wants us to be rid of. And so he puts us under this pressure so we release ourselves to him. And we say, okay, God, have it your way for what you want. And the amazing thing is God has the ability to bring great things from our pain, doesn't he? Those of you that have been through a lot of pain in life, the struggles of life, you look back now as a Christian and you say, whew, man, I sure wouldn't want to go through that again. But I sure am glad I went through that. I look back on my life and I can say the same thing very easily. I would never want to go back through some of those years, but I'm so glad that I went through them because it was in those painful moments that I saw Jesus and I found him and he found me and my heart was changed. And that's what pain does. It helps us to remember the good things of the Lord. And there was a song many years ago that was at least sung and recorded by a man named Steve Green that I've just loved over the years. I'll just read you a couple of the lyrics. Here's how it really becomes this painful, purifying work of the Spirit of God really feels to the Christian. The song goes, There burns a fire with sacred heat, white hot with holy flame, 
And all who dare pass through its blaze will not emerge the same. Some as bronze and some as silver, some as gold. And then with great skill, all are hammered by their sufferings on the anvil of his will. I'm learning now to trust his touch, to crave the fire's embrace. For though my past with sin was etched, his mercies did erase. Each time his purging cleanses deeper, I'm not sure that I'll survive. Yet the strength in growing weaker keeps my hungry soul alive. Listen, I don't know who wrote that, but boy, they understood the truth of the purifying work of the Lord. For those of us that have gone through the refiner's fire and are going through it, those, and that's every believer, understands that there's a purifying there of the soul that's just so good, right? I mean, you think about in your days before you were a believer, and now you look back on those days and you're like, ugh, I don't want any of that. But in those days it was good, it was fun, it was right. But now that the Spirit of God has purged that from you, you're just so hungry for more of God's purifying work, you find yourself just saying, Lord, just wash me clean again and again and again and again because it's good, it's righteous. And that's what God is doing through all of that. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. It was good. It's good that I was afflicted. How could he say that? Because of everything we're talking about here. <clears throat> so that I might learn. Learn what? Learn you. That's how God teaches us about himself. He has to purge us from these things. And so it's under the trials where we find God. It's under those challenging, uncertain times when God shines the brightest. Beloved, listen, we should just say it this way. You should praise God for your troubles. Let's say it this way. Praise God for COVID-19. How about that? You say, you really are a fruitcake. No. I know that what Satan meant to cause evil and harm, God is using it for his glory. Folks, listen. This is why we have to stay open. This is why we have to preach the gospel. There are souls going to hell. People are dying from COVID-19. And guess what? They're going to go somewhere. They're either going to go to be with Jesus or they're going to go to live in hell with Satan forever. And I, for one, want to preach the gospel so that people will hear. And you say, oh, well, they're going to die if they come together and around other people. Okay, but at least they'll be in heaven. Amen? Folks, the greatest thing that you and I can do is stay awake and stay alert and keep pressing the gospel to everybody we come in contact with. Because it's only in the gospel that people will find their eternal souls rescued. Let us not be afraid to live the gospel. I'm pretty passionate about that. And by the way, God's grace covers all the angles. All of them. There's not a place in the world that God is not taking care of. You don't need to figure out how you're going to get through your challenges. God will help you. God will get you through that. We've talked about that much from Matthew's gospel. God's grace is sufficient for all of our trials. All of them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Did you hear that? God is faithful. God is faithful, beloved. Listen. God is faithful. You say, I may die from COVID-19. Yes, you may die. But guess what? God is faithful. God is faithful to bring you to be with him. That's Peter's point. But Nero may take my life. He may throw me to the lions. He may cover me in animal skins and be eaten viciously. He may bury me in the dirt up to my head. He may burn me as a torch on the side. Yes, he may do all of that. But God is faithful. 
He will rescue you. You have an eternal inheritance that no one can take from you. Why? Because God is the guardian in his power over it. And you're free in his care. Beloved, listen, we have to believe that. If we don't believe that, if we don't believe what God has said to us, listen, we are the worst violators of his truth that has ever existed. Let me say it again, this way. If we don't believe what God has said in his word, we are the greatest people of treason against the kingdom of heaven that there's ever been. How can you and I say that we belong to the God of the universe the God who created our very souls and then turn around and be worried that he's not going to care for us. That is treason against the captain of our souls, the guardian of our souls. Beloved, you and I are the examples of life. We're the examples. We're the examples of what it means to live in faith and courage and determination so that souls will go to be with him one day. I hope you believe that. Somebody said to me after the first service, thank you for saying that. He said, you don't hear that very often. I said, I know. But listen, this is not a game. It's not a game. When I say this, I'm talking about life. And, and I just get so concerned sometimes that we, I'm talking about as God's people, think of this as being just a game. And it, we prove it by the way that we say things in life and then turn around and live a different way. We prove it. Every time we get worried about something, every time we make excuses about something, we prove we don't really believe. And that's treason. It's not only heresy, it's treason. It is treason against the king of the universe. Beloved, that's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. Peter's saying, listen, yes, horrible time. Horrible time. You may be fed to the lions, but God chose you. You have a great inheritance. It's never going to be taken away from you. You're in a good place, right? Do you hear it? Do you hear God saying that? Listen, we need to go out of this place and we need to live for God knowing that we're safe. Stop being afraid. Stop living in the fear of what the unknown is and just let God have his way. We're precious to him. Listen to what Peter says here in verse seven. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, by the way, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, your faith... This little thing that we put so little confidence in is precious to our Father. It's precious. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot come to me without it, right? You cannot please the Father without faith. It is precious to him. And get this, as he finishes that verse, he's saying to us, there's coming a day where God will honor you because of your faith. He's going to honor you. Let me read you a couple verses here if I can find them. 2 Timothy 4.8. In the future, Paul says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You hear that? There's coming a day where God is, Paul saying, God is going to give me an award. He's going to honor me, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's coming a day where you and I are going to stand before God, and he's going to present to us whatever this looks like from his own heart because we believed him by faith and we're precious to him. 
Jesus told the same thing back in Luke chapter 12. We read something similar to this in the earlier part of the chapter, but listen to this. He's telling a parable, but he's saying, be dressed in readiness, keep your lamps lit, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve. He will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Other than what the Lord is saying to here is that the Lord Jesus one day is going to come and honor us. Now tell me that's not humbling. Why? Because we obeyed. We followed him. Even into the midst of the lion's mouth, we followed him. And don't we have example after example after example of men and women who did just that? And yes, they lost their lives. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, which of the, which of the prophets have you not killed? Right? But that's why Paul said, hey, you know what? Better for me to go to be with Jesus. I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering, he said. And you know what they did? They whacked off his head. Put his head on a chopping block and they cut it off. But Paul said, it doesn't matter because I know what waits for me. And Peter, who was the disciple of Jesus, also the greatest of the 12, really, the one that Jesus used the most in leadership in lots of ways, the one who had the most to learn, by the way, was the one who was preaching this message now that Jesus was gone and the people were under great persecution. He's the one now saying, listen, let's not forget. Let's not forget. Let's not forget. Let's not forget. Here's what God has done for us. He chose you for salvation. He's given you an inheritance. It will never pass away. How do I know that? Because God is the guardian of it. And one day he's going to honor us when we're there with him. Praise his name. Can we just say hallelujah to that? All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that somewhere in your divine purpose you gave to those of us who know you the right to be your children. Lord, we are facing very uncertain days. There's a lot in our humanness to be worried about and fearful of. We hear the legislatures making decisions that make no sense. We hear of things in our world that make no sense and things can be very scary. And so, Father, I think as we are staring down the year 2021, having come through the year that we just came through, uh, we have only you to turn to. And when we find you there, we realize that there was really no other reason but to turn to you anyway and to just live our lives under your care. Lord, my voice is just the voice of a human. I'm just a man. I'm nothing. But your power works in the hearts of people so that they know and see their sinfulness and understand that they need to be rescued. So Father, however you change hearts, I pray that you would do that today, tomorrow, the next week, the week after, until you come. Lord, that you would rescue every soul that you've chosen and that they would answer and respond with their own willful hearts, yes. Lord, if there's anyone who hears this message today, I pray that you would do that before it's eternally too late. That's always our prayer. Lord, that they would never see this life as a game, but that they would come into your arms and rest and know with confidence that you are the protector of our souls. Lord, may we follow you even into the lion's mouth if necessary, because we know there you will be also. And Lord, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall stand again, please.
When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed When you are discouraged thinking all is lost Count your many blessings, name them one by one And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your many blessings, see what God hath done So amid the conflict, whether great or small do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the blessings that you give us, Lord. And help us to just remind us to, to count all the ones that you, you give us each and every day, that we, especially that we take for granted. But most of all, Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of your Son, Jesus who came and died for us so that one day we will be with you. It's in his name I pray. Amen.